Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. Home Abstract and Title Company was founded in 1867 and is the oldest company still operating in McLennan County. Home Abstract is comprised of a team of honest, friendly, hardworking professionals dedicated to providing both commercial and residential real estate clients with the highest level of communication and service. Their team is committed to working hard and building and maintaining strong relationships because transactions are so much more than just deals. They are clients deserving of the courtesy care and respect that home abstract and title company is known for visit home abstract and title company at homeabstract.com cross the brazos and waco i'm safe when i reach seven welcome back to the waco history podcast the Crossroads series has been uh, really a turning point uh, in my life and <laughs> in Rick's life. Uh, everything else was prelude, pre-Crossroads. Right. And, and How long else. have we been at this? Well, uh, we recorded our first uh, Waco's Crossroads episode on September the 6th. Um, not this year, last year. So we've, we've been at it just over a year. Wow. Uh, 15, this is the 15th episode in the Crossroads series, and we've had some incredible guests as we've gone along the way. And, uh, I, I do want to thank our guests again. So Claire Colgin McDonald, um, John Morris, mm-hmm. uh, joined us, uh, Mayor Dylan Meek, uh, Dr. Mike Parrish, uh, who else joined us? Brady Taylor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we uh, we had Ashley Cruz Turner and Marlene uh, McMichael, uh, Chris Collins from the Chamber of Commerce, uh, Fiona Bond, mm-hmm. Jim Holmes, uh, uh, Waco City Councilman. That's right, and uh, of course uh, Sheriff Parnell McNamara joined us for this last one. But before that, we had Chris Hansen and Carl Hoover on our entertainment. Uh, three episode um, and so it, it's been been quite a journey and we covered a, a lot of ground I think this was your idea uh, I want to credit you I think this was yeah. your idea originally obviously I was just trying to find a way to spend more time with you <laughs> well that's understandable uh, I'd like to get away from myself but there's no way that can possibly happen uh, but this is Crossroads 15, and, and Rick and I thought it'd be a great idea to do an episode just where we reflect uh, back a little bit. So uh, episode one in this series was Waco as Crossroads, and so we're going to take some time today to kind of reflect back and revisit the Crossroads. Yeah, yeah, I thought uh, it'd be interesting. I mean, it seems like after uh, after you do something like a podcast or you know, even day to day, you tell a story and you go, man, I wish I left, I left out a detail I wish I'd said, or you come across a new piece of information that would have mm. been, uh, you know, really good to have in that original discussion. Um, or, 
Uh, oftentimes in this case, you listen to the episode you just did and you go, oh, I, I need to do a correction on that. <laughs> yeah, or a postmortem or an autopsy. I mean, there's yeah, all sorts of yeah. ways to think. There's metaphors to use to think about what yes. we're about to do. Yes. So anyway, yeah, there's there's uh, there's stuff to talk about. So so in episode one, where we where we it was the setup episode describing the metaphor, which uh, or the reason for the metaphor. I mean, the mm-hmm. literal uh, you know the crossroads of Waco. And uh, we had we had Claire Colgin on, and and she had some great family history um, of the the the, the Colgin family uh, history, where very very involved in the building of roads and really the the mm-hmm. introduction of automobiles and uh, the road system, the highway system, things that we take for granted now yeah. that didn't even exist, and how that was built out. So that was fun. Um, so in, in further research, I came across a, an interesting uh, excerpt from 1909 mm. that I think punctuates this, this early uh, or early automobile history mm-hmm. in the crossroads. So uh, apparently there was a Dr. W.O. Wilkes who had uh, the purchase the 16th car in Waco. So you, I guess, I don't know when you quit counting. <laughs> yeah. right? I've got the 37th car ever in Waco. But anyway, he had the 16th one and uh, he, he went on a road trip with his family, the Temple. Mm-hmm. Big long road trip to Temple and kept a log, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, like uh, Star Trek here. Um, uh-huh. So it starts off. I'm sure this means in the morning. Nine thirty-five left Waco. Mm-hmm. Nine fifty-five stop to see why car is boiling water. <laughs> uh, and then uh, the next entries we're talking about ended up changing three flats and refilling the radiator eight times oh, just God. to get the Temple. Gosh. Um, and then on the return trip, uh, had three more flats. <laughs> so the roads must have been really good. And then I love this entry um, at the end of it. Running over girl cost us $600, not to mention flowers, candy, etc. <laughs> oh, man. You know, those early days of car travel, you know, we like, you know, in the most recent episode, we talked about the relationship with your horse. You kind of had to have that sort of relationship with your automobile early on. You had to yeah. know it that intimately because <laughs> yeah. you were its mechanic. And if anything went wrong with it, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny in the the when you see early um, car racing. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, we had a we had a race car track at um, the uh, Cotton Palace. Mm-hmm. That was one of the uh, one of the features they added after a while, but. Uh, you see, seeing those long races, you had the the race car driver, and then sitting next to him was the mechanic. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, which is probably more important than the driver. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I was struck as we think about it now. You know, that first episode we talked about the concept of Waco's Crossroads, and as we've gone through, you know, these fourteen episodes, we've really discovered that reaffirmed in a lot of ways that we didn't even think about at first. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't just uh, uh, product placement using the name, mm-hmm. um, but it, it really is is apt uh, to who we are, and you and you see it historically talked about. I mean, mm-hmm. we're not the first ones to discover discover this this connection, and uh, even uh, George E. Rath in his early writings talking about, hey, this this town that I'm laying out for the first time could be a prominent town. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, uh, in, in things we don't uh, just as we're talking about the, the the Wilkes family driving down to Temple, we we've lost the perspective of 
travel before roads. Somebody's already gone ahead of us and bulldozed these roads and made them flat and and put bridges in and do all that. I mean, if you think back into the uh, you know 1840s, 1850s, and, and beyond, I mean, you're really trying to pick the path of least resistance, mm-hmm. and that path of least resistance comes right up the Balcones Escarpment yeah. on the east side of the Balcones Escarpment all the way from South Texas up to Dallas. Mm-hmm. And we're right on it. Whether you're moving, uh, whether it's uh, wildlife moving that direction, steers moving that direction, people moving that direction. Indigenous Americans. I mean, it was their goods moving that direction, whatever yeah, it might yeah, be. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, another uh, part about Waco, speaking of travel, and this is kind of more in in the city that we touched on lightly, but mm-hmm. uh, probably deserves a, a a lot more um, in depth discussion. The trolleys. I love the old pictures mm-hmm. of the trolleys in in Waco, and it's hard to imagine that now, right? You think of trolleys are so romanticized by places like San Francisco or um, you know o- other places like that, and you're like, well, Waco was an early adopter of that. So looked up a couple things on it. So it was in 1891. We already had horse-drawn tro- trolleys. Mm-hmm. That's when they converted to electric. So 1891. Mm-hmm. That seems pretty early. Yeah. And then uh, in the interurban yeah. shows up in 1913. They put that in. And it's actually a uh, – it connects a lot of the cities in Texas. And so at that point, uh, someone from Waco could jump on the interur- or interurban and be in Dallas in about two hours. Yeah, and it's, uh, I mean, the, the ridership, hundreds of thousands of people are riding the interurban even through the 1940s. Um, in many of the oral histories, they have reminiscences of riding the interurban. Something that happened uh, since we recorded th- that episode is the redoing of El- Elm Avenue mm, and right. pulling up the interurban tracks uh, over, they're finally pulling those up in this redo. Uh, of Elm Avenue. It was just really interesting to see. And it made me kind of long for something like the interurban, you know, what, right. what a benefit that would be uh, if we still had something like that, that could, you could hop on that and, and ride to DFW or something like that. Yeah. It makes me think about the, the layers of archeology. span You know, you think about people uh, excavating cities in Mesopotamia. Well, someday they're going to be excavating Waco and they're going to get mm-hmm. down to the interurban layer. Yeah. <laughs> and they're going to find these railroad <laughs> tracks uh, under the asphalt yeah. and uh, try to figure that out. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So, so our second episode was, was, uh, it was kind of the prequel to the first episode. Yeah. That, this was just us kind of talking about some of the er- elements of early uh, Waco uh, history. Yeah. Um, and pre Waco history. Yeah, so going, you know, uh, I think pulled a lot off of what uh, George E. Rath had written mm-hmm. about um, his laying out the town. And he was also involved with Fort Fisher when it was uh, established as a as a ranger camp. It was never really officially in a fort. But, um, you know, since then, uh, I came across a, a great book. Um, um, called Romer's Texas is written by uh, a German named uh, Dr. Ferdinand Romer in 1845. R O E M E R. Yes. Yeah. And he came over here. So there was a huge German, you know, waves of German immigration to Texas. And mm-hmm. in fact, the things I learned in his book was 
uh, it, was, it was more formalized. I mean, there was actually an association over there sending Germans over, recruiting mm-hmm. them and sending them and, and uh, supplying them to come to Texas. Mm-hmm. And so he came over not to immigrate, but really to, to write a, a guidebook for others who were coming. So he came over here for two years, traveled around Texas, was there when New Braunfels was um, established. And then they went uh, uh, into the hill country and established Fredericksburg. And anyway, some, some great uh, initial stuff. But one of the things he did is he, he visited Tory's Trading Company, uh, which was mm-hmm. the trading company probably five or six miles downriver from downtown Waco mm-hmm. on uh, Tawankona Creek. Yeah, if you know where Trading House Lake is, that's kind of the area where the trading post was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he, he and he's a scientific mind, so he gives a great description of pre-Waco history mm-hmm. out there. And uh, he actually was traveling with one of the Tory brothers himself. But you know, here, here's a a quick excerpt as he's describing what's going on at the trading post. He says, uh, already on the second day of our arrival, a small Indian band chanced to arrive in order to trade. To see the long train resembling a caravan appear on the hill on which the trading post stood presented a picturesque and fascinating sight for a European. According to Indian custom, they rode single file, the men in advance dressed in their best, looking about dignified and grave. The lively squalls following, sitting astride like the men, each usually carrying a black-eyed little papoose on her back and another one on the front saddle. (laughs) At the same time, they kept a watchful eye on the pack horses, which carried the skins and various household goods. Uh, A halt was made near the houses. There were like five or six houses that made up the uh, post. And immediately, the squalls were busy chopping down branches needed for constructing their tents. Later, the skins were traded. Uh, later, the skins to be traded were brought to the warehouse, weighed, and the value determined. The Indians then selected goods equivalent to the price agreed upon. Usually, such a visit lasted several days and had the ha- same happy significance for the Indians as a country fair has for our German people. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. 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 Just a little, little glimpse of what life was like in central Texas in 1845. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very interesting. Um, well, our our third episode, we had John Morrison. We fast forwarded. We didn't necessarily stick chronologically. We <laughs> we went thematically. You gotta gotta go. And, you gotta yeah. go with how it flows. You yeah. Know well, I mean? when you get John Morris, you get him. Yeah. And so we got him to talk about uh, goal line crossings, uh, sports uh, in Waco. Uh, you know, one thing I've thought about since then, of course, we had not st- started. Um, Fully, fully uh, had momentum on the Foster Pavilion, the new right. basketball arena, and it's it's interesting how Baylor's kind of re-embraced I thirty five now yeah. with the yeah. Welcome Center and the stadium, and then the new Foster Pavilion, yeah. recognizing uh, the exposure for the university is that corridor and. Particularly, like McLean Stadium is the best billboard anyone could ever build for Baylor University. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, for years when you drove through Waco, mm-hmm. uh, you saw the spires in the distance, and uh, there's some buildings over there. Yeah, and you're looking at the backside of some dorms, and that was okay. Well, there's Baylor if you go off there, but now it's the front door, right? If you're heading south, the the interstate bends in such a way that you hit a rise. So at night, when McLean Stadium is lit up. You hit a rise, and it looks like the interstate goes through. I mean, it is yeah. centered in the highway, and so it's an incredible 
uh, kind of vision of of Baylor that's available to all these folks coming down yeah, the interstate. And, and the uh, the addition of the when they redid the bridges over the interstate and added the the lighting and mm-hmm. the the uh, architectural um, you know tip of the hat to the suspension bridge you know the way that's laid out mm-hmm. it's it's really nice and now they're gonna have a new pavilion there yeah um, and uh, the herd center so uh, we, we've stepped up our game a little bit we have. We have. Now, I know you did some extra research and you reached out to John to see if he had any addendums for. Well, you know, one thing that also has changed largely, and uh, and this goes beyond history, maybe talking a little bit about the future, but the Big 12, the makeup of the Big 12 has totally changed since we did that episode. Yeah. And we're increasingly bad at math. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it does not speak well to the uh, academic structures, but um, yeah. So think about that as a crossroads. Now, I mean, we've got uh, more teams from further away showing up in Little Waco, Texas. Um, We're almost coast to coast now. Uh, yeah, with the Big Twelve. So yeah, yeah. that's uh, uh, what what. Uh, and there's both sides of that story. I mean, it was great when we had. Uh, Everything was almost in state, um, mm-hmm. but that's not the world we live in anymore. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, something else that it, when, when I was thinking really more along the lines of leisure, I mean, this isn't necessarily uh, uh, like, I mean, I guess it's sports now, but something that has never come up really in, in any of our discussions mm-hmm. was golf. Yeah. Yeah. So what what should we include uh with that well with it what i do know and there's there's probably a golf historian that knows more than i do i mean they barely even let me show up at top golf because <laughs> i mean that's how bad i am but that's why i think you're the reason why they put the big fence in. <laughs> you know they never put anybody on either side of me whatever um, <laughs> yeah, but who knows uh so golf came to waco in 1912 so waco's kind of first country club mm-hmm. uh the Waco Club. Waco Club. Yeah. Am mm-hmm. I saying that right? Yeah. Waco Club. Uh, it was built at uh, 19th and Sanger, that mm-hmm. area. So uh, I know that area because that's where Antioch Community Church is, kind of in that, mm-hmm. uh, just right off of Waco Drive. Um, so it was a 19-hole course. Nine-hole. I'm sorry. You're right. Yeah. Nine-hole course. Yeah. And um, had a beautiful clubhouse. Designed by Roy E. Lane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's on the app. You want to see pictures of the clubhouse. Unfortunately, it has a tragic end. I'll let Rick tell you about the end. But the the links of that quarter, the timing of everything, uh, when the club goes away, uh, they abandon the golf course um, and go out to Lacey Lakeview to build the first 18-hole golf course in, in town. But it is those open links that kind of become the Castle Heights neighborhood um, because there's there's descriptions of the links kind of coming up to the unfinished walls of what later becomes known as uh, the Cottonland Castle or the Waco Castle there on Austin. Oh, I could see that. What's that? The creek running through there. Mm-hmm. That's a nice fall. Yeah, it's oh, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I bet it was beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So what happens to the Waco Club? Well, um, what often uh, happened to the fate of uh, wood buildings mm-hmm. in that time period, it, it burned down in 1917. Yeah. 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 So tragic. Yeah. Um, so episode four, uh, we got into the political side of 
the crossroads of Waco. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mayor Meek, our uh, uh, lame duck, now lame duck. Uh, <laughs> yes. Ma- mayor. Yes. Yeah, he's got, got uh, till the uh, till til, spring. Yeah, till spring. Uh, he's in place. But uh, he came in to kind of help us talk about uh, not only city, but we talked about state politics. We talked about national uh, politics and the way Waco's kind of had a place in those. Yeah, and, and a lot of lot of characters, a lot of people through the years. And one of the things we you notice when you're looking at that timeline, uh, you see a lot more on the front end, mm-hmm. right? The yeah. late 1800s, early 1900s. That's where we had most of our governors uh, had uh, you know most of the influence in the state. And I found a, a great uh, quote from the Dallas Morning News, February 24th, 1892. So a contemporary um, quote here. And uh, uh, the Morning News states, Waco is a political center. There is no doubt about it. Just as much as Tyler, and she makes governorships and senatorships as her political diet. Nothing short of these. Just as much as Tyler. <laughs> so she can tell things have changed since 1892. Uh-huh. Um, um, but you can understand why, uh, you know, if, if you look at the uh, 1900 census, Waco was the seventh largest city in Texas. Mm-hmm. McLennan County was the fifth largest county. So we not only had a vibrant city, we also had vibrant agriculture going on, right? The mm-hmm. the the life going on outside the city. Um, being in the middle of the state and transportation networks not being as robust as they are, you know, you're not taking a flight from Dallas to Austin or whatever. It just... For a lot of those reasons, Waco uh, made a great meeting pl- place. The, the a lot of political conventions were were hosted here mm-hmm. um, as a middle ground to meet mm-hmm. and um, had the railroad connection. There's still hope at that time for a uh, waterway, uh, yeah. a navigable Brazos. Is the hope of that is still in place? And so, yeah, in many ways, it's very central, yeah, economically and politically. Yeah. yeah. Um. You know, one one thing, and this I would say this is probably on the uh, uh, we, we, when you look at maybe the demise of Waco or how, how Waco waned in its influence over the years. Uh, and and I picked this up when we were talking, uh, did our episode with Parnell, mm-hmm. and just looking at the activity of the Klan yeah. in uh, in Texas, and especially in Central Texas, that was mm-hmm. that was part of the story with uh, Sheriff Bob Buchanan mm-hmm. uh, and, and uh, him confronting them in Lorena. Uh, but if you, if you read more into that or look more into that, uh, it, uh, there was a big political component that mm-hmm. came out of the Klan, right? They, they were wanting to uh, get control of political positions, including the governorship and then Senator. Uh, it'll, uh, a couple of the key characters to, uh, uh, run for those offices were in Waco, mm-hmm. people from Waco. And and that's actually what ended up fracturing the Klan because uh, the, the power bosses wanted to pick who it was going to be, but you had uh, different uh, people running from different sides of the state. They were all in the Klan, but nobody wanted to concede to one another. It created fractures in the leadership. And so really as quickly as the Klan had reformed. I mean, by the late 1920s, it was no longer uh, 
a, a viable entity anymore. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that collapse happened because of what was happening in Waco. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that collapse comes uh, on the heels of that as the Great Depression. Yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, you, you're talking about a, a 20-year period that is pretty pivotal pivotal for Waco's kind of place in the state. Where, yeah. Uh, and, cotton, co- of course, cotton crashing. Cotton yeah. crashes. Uh, you see oil starting mm-hmm. to be discovered in communities that had previously been just impo- impoverished backwaters <laughs> start start booming. Yeah. Um, so there's a huge shift. You know, mm-hmm. when you look at uh, Waco's shift away from, if you want to call it prominence, mm-hmm. uh, you can really see it happening in the 20s, 30s, and 40s. And I think the, the 30s was the only time Waco was flat or decreased in population. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And uh, we, we do want to say, hey, we're back, baby. Uh, <laughs> we're talking historically. But, yes. Uh, yes. And just to keep that in mind. Um, but it's it's interesting uh, to connect those dots. Um, we uh, we then had uh, it was around uh, around December. I think we had uh, Mike Parrish in mm-hmm. uh, to talk about kind of the military history of Waco, which which, again, is somewhat front loaded, but very very interesting. Yeah, and and very much strategic. Mm-hmm. Right. It was a uh, uh, th- those were economic development opportunities that the the leadership of Waco ran hard to get. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we talked about the different bases, whether it's MacArthur, Richfield, uh, the Blue Bonnet plant. Um, almost all those, it was the local governments going out and buying that property mm-hmm. and then yeah. and then getting the federal government to send uh you know the base the 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 military bases over here mm-hmm. so it wasn't just happenstance somebody didn't just pick us out on a map it yeah. was some proactivity to make that happen definitely um now <clears throat> i i the this is this is a little tangential, but I think incredibly interesting. Uh, so, listen, you don't do a fifteen episode series without getting a little tangential. So, <laughs> this carries on a tradition we've yeah, established well, as well. So, go ahead. Yeah, it's 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 our way. <laughs> um, so, we talked about before when World War World War One came, and, and Texas had a huge German population. We just talked about Romer and mm-hmm. these waves of Germans that came over. Well, one of the negative effects of going to war with Germany was uh, uh, now, you know, everybody kind of, uh, th- there was the German scare. People, mm-hmm. you know, weren't sure of the loyalties of, of some of these immigrants. And, um, you know, s- some of them were, were uh, actively against going to war with Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some spoke out, some didn't. Some were hugely patriotic to, to, to the U.S. So um, it was a mixed bag. And, but, I, and I will tease, uh, while we're tangential, I will tease our episode uh, on World War One with Stephen Seeloff, where we get into a little bit Waco High, Baylor, how it was impacted by what you're talking oh, about. Yeah, great. Yeah. Well, um, one of the things that uh, most Waco citizens didn't know, but they learned as in the lead up to World War One, was that one of the Waco's largest landowners was the Chancellor of the German Empire. <laughs> Right, yeah. uh, and I never. Most people don't know. Even remember that we we think of Wilhelm II, right? Mm-hmm. The 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 um, lead as the leader of Germany, 
but they did have a chancellor and uh um see if i can you're better at saying names you say his name uh this is uh theobald von bethman holwig that's right bethman holwig so mm -hmm. so he served under wilhelm um his brother had been one of the immigrants to texas in the 1880s and had acquired land in riesel and waco and upon his death he left that land to his brother so his brother's the acting chancellor of germany and he owns uh, basically a city block uh the city block that is um uh comes from uh, austin to franklin 23rd to 24th street so if, so if you're going down franklin today and you look over and you see the crispy chicken shack mm -hmm. that that block that that's on was owned by the chancellor of germany now i want chicken <laughs> well we'll be done here All right. okay uh he also owned some land over by baylor uh, as well, and then, like I said, land and resale. So he he fiercely was trying to sell it before the war started, because um, he knew. And what did happen is what what didn't get sold got confiscated by the government. So that's really interesting. I mean, to bring in because that that talks about. Uh, I mean, what a lot of people uh, miss at times is the German influence in Texas, even at that late date. Um, so in the lead up to the American entry into the Great War. We didn't know there was going to be a sequel, so we called it the Great War. <laughs> yeah, uh, th there's the, the the infamous Zimmerman telegram, yeah, where the Germans make an offer for the, Me the the Mexican government to enter the war against the U.S. and they'll reclaim lands lost in the Mexican-American War and other things like that. But it's because of those German connections in Mexico and in uh, border states, particularly Texas. Uh, there's a lot of ongoing relationship uh, between Germany and places like Texas, even yeah. up in the 20th century. Yeah. yeah. Very interesting. Well, episode six. We we try we timed that well. Um, the they were working on the 70th anniversary of the uh, Waco tornado, May 11th, 1953. So when that happened this spring, we had Brady Taylor on. And uh, the weather has been completely calm since then. <laughs> and I will say, after our episode, he had an incredible documentary that he released on the tornado that I'm sure is available online. Monster from the Sky, yes, yeah. uh, which uh, was really well done. Yeah. Um, one of the things uh, that I remember from that episode was uh, the difference between climate and weather. Mm -hmm. You know, climate is the average of average of the extremes of your weather mm -hmm. so this summer ended up being one of extremes yeah so uh, brady sent me a list of some of those extremes that i thought i'd share with you so this summer we had 65 days with highs 100 degrees or higher so that's the third most on record mm. we had 28 days with highs 105 or greater that's the second on record. Wow. Uh, we received officially 0.74 inches of rainfall during the summer. That's the second lowest on record. Uh, we had 29 days in a row with highs 100 plus. So it's days in a row, consecutive days. Uh, that was July 17th, August 14th. That's the fifth longest streak on record. And we had 56 days without any precipitation from July 2nd to August 26th, that is the longest wow. streak on record. I'm happy to say 
that uh, today that we are recording this, which is uh, September 14th. We had a nice rain this morning. Yeah, it's been very nice lately, but wham, what a dry, yeah, yeah, what a dry summer, very dry summer. Uh, so I, I think, uh, yeah, Brady did a great job kind of breaking down things we should think about uh, weather-wise and the ways in which this is a crossroads. Yeah, and you just think about how that would affect the development of your community over time, in, in a wet period, uh, especially in a in an agricultural driven economy, I mean that's mm-hmm. mostly great. I mean, you yeah. floods and stuff. I mean, there's things that are negatives to that, um, but there's going to be a lot more flourishing when there's when there's moisture, and on the years where there's droughts, mm-hmm. it's going to be tough. And, and if you remember from that episode, uh, at the time with the with the current um, technology they had with uh, with with cotton cultivation at the time. This was really about the furthest west that you could cultivate cotton. Mm-hmm. Now, if you go visit some of the towns west of here, uh, like uh, Hamilton and Clifton, um, you know some of those are Goldthwait, you know you can find they had kind of patches of cotton economy in mm-hmm. there. You know, probably in some bottomlands stuff like that. But but the Brazos Valley here was really the last kind of big stretch of great cotton land mm-hmm. um, and eventually, you know, the black lands uh, east of town too. Yeah, so. yeah, definitely. Um, we ended up doing a couple of episodes on school crossings um, to kind of talk about the the academic history of the area and uh, Ashley Cruz-Turner um, and remind Marlene. me. Marlene. Marlene, oh yeah. Marlene, Marlene McMichael came in to help us with the second in that series. Uh, what are some other things you want to make well, sure we include here? You know, it's funny, we were, we were just talking about the depression this, and to some degree. Uh, I, I uh, came across a excerpt where I guess it makes sense, right? Depression hits. Um, uh, Waco doesn't feel it that much right at first because not a lot of people in Waco had money in the stock market. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the ripple effects of the stock market um, start spreading around the world. And really where it hurt Waco was the European markets because that's where most of the cotton was sold. Mm-hmm. So when those markets started drying up, then the business started drying up here. So eventually, you know, a lot of people losing their jobs, um, farmers not able to make it, looking for everything. Um, well, there's a downturn in enrollment at Baylor mm-hmm. that leads to uh, uh, layoffs in faculty. And, you know, finally a couple years into it, you know, Baylor's struggling, and uh, Pat Neff decides to start paying. One thing, he reduces everybody's salary by 15%. Um, has that happened to you yet? Uh, it is not, luckily. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So then you get you get hit with that one. And then the second one is they start paying, I think, about 25% of their salary in Baylor script. So it was um, looked like a, a check, and it was redeemable uh, a year forward. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I guess people were taking that script and trying to use it around town to <laughs> pay their bills or to use the Baylor market. IOU to yeah. pay your bill. Yeah. One, one of the banks in town would give the, the, the faculty 50 cents on the dollar for the script. <laughs> so they could convert it to real cash. But so they were betting on Baylor surviving. Yeah. 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 Um, and eventually at some point it goes to hundred percent script. Um, I don't think that lasts very long. I think Neff realizes that's that's not a winning uh, long term solution, and they 
they uh, only do that for a year or two. Mm. So, um, but you know, we, we look at some of the hard times we've gone through, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's, um, some of the economic times from COVID or the 07, 08, 09 downturn. I mean, what people went through in, in the great depression is unfathomable mm-hmm. to us today. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that came out of that episode, particularly our, our talk with, uh, um, in the, in episode number two is, I think the era we're in now is some cross fertilization between, I mean, those institutions are so siloed from much of their history. If we want to think about yeah. the modern educational institutions in Waco, uh, but the cross fertilization that's happening between those and the city, you know, the really yeah. interesting stuff going on there. And today as we record, there's another one, right? Yeah. So uh, we had a groundbreaking today uh, for the new TSDC training facility called the Worksite, which is going to be located over in the um, uh, industrial park uh, yeah. right off of Texas Central Parkway, as opposed to the TSDC campus. So it's a it's a facility dedicated to um, serving the businesses and industries here in Waco mm-hmm. and, and developing workforce. So. Mm-hmm. It's a big collaborative effort. Very, very thankful. I think, and also within the last week, uh, uh, what do they call it? The Cyber Lab was uh, mm-hmm. announced. That's a collaborate collaboration between Baylor and MCC. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's there's a uh, lot of the, lot of the brick uh, is an undiv- uh, und- unbelievable project uh, that I enjoy every time I go over there. Just the activity that's going on at the Baylor University Research Innovative Collaborative or whatever yeah, it's called. Yeah. They worked hard to make it sound be brick. Yeah. Uh, but just not not only the work that's ongoing there, but the capacity for something like that. And as I drive by it, that was the old general tire plant that closes in the early 90s in a big economic blow, as we talked about in that episode, to Waco. And now it's kind of at the leading edge of uh, the next generation right. of, and, of innovation in Waco. Yeah, yeah. and and the, the long-term play is there, uh, is the, the research that comes out of that becoming commercialized, creating new business opportunities, mm-hmm. new economic uh, generating opportunities for the for the Waco community. Yeah. Starting to see some of that, that pay off now. Mm-hmm. And, and speaking of the economy, episode nine, mm-hmm. we had uh, Chris Collins. Yep. From the Great Waco Chamber. Mm-hmm. Director of Economic Development, um, and um, you know we were able to kind of just walk through that a lot of that history from being a mono economy based on cotton to one of the most diverse economies in the state of Texas today. And uh, you know you stated earlier, baby, we're back, uh, <laughs> and and a lot of that is stuff that's happened in the last decade of economic development and seeing year after year of, of new records of companies coming to Waco, investing in our community, um, bringing more jobs, more diversity to the economy. And we talked in that episode, maybe the upside, we talked earlier about the downside not being connected to oil production yeah. in Waco, but maybe seeing the upside to not being addicted to oil production right, as right. the basis for your economy. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. not, not um, you know, if, if we saw, if we learned that lesson during the uh, days of cotton, mm-hmm. uh, you'd think Midland and Odessa would be uh, learning that now. And, and actually you see, I mean, I've saw some uh, uh, 
uh, an article this week in Odessa where they're uh, they're building a amateur youth sports complex to to drive more um, sports tourism out there, Mm -hmm. right? Trying to diversify their economy. Rick, this is not the Odessa History Podcast. (laughs) I know. That's another. Which is frankly something we've been doing for years through the Greater Waco uh, Sports Commission. Yeah. So yeah. um, Oh, it's here. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. 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 So it's that's fun to see. you know, some, um, again, tangential, but I think it's really cool because right now, where are we sitting? We're in the Alico building. We're on the 21st floor of the Alico building. Yeah. Uh, and, and I realized last time I was coming up here, no 13th, of course, but no second floor either. So two and 13 are two numbers you cannot push huh. uh, in the Alico building elevator. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well. Um, Come uh, visit us. I, w- I won't do that now. Okay, so, uh, and where does that play in tangentially? Well, the, the, the boom, the golden years of Waco, kind of early 1900s, like I said, we were the seventh largest city. Our economy was booming on cotton. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, financial center, uh, political center of Texas. So that's, that's when the uh, Alico building was built in uh, 1911, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it takes a year. Yeah. It takes a year to build it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean you can't. Yeah, you can't build. A, you can't get a, permitted a two, hard, hardly in a year. Where's Dylan Meek? We're yeah. talking about that. No, you can't. You can't build a two thousand square foot house in a year yeah. hardly anymore. Yeah. So, yeah, it's amazing that they that they built the the tallest building in uh, west of the Mississippi in mm-hmm. less than a year. But the original plan called for a twenty story building, but it became known that the Adolphus Hotel in Dallas was also planned to be 20 stories. So as a result, um, the uh, gentleman running, the president of the insurance company at the time, Artemis Roberts, said, nah, says we're going to build, we're going to go to 21 stories. Mm-hmm. So he upped his plans, went to 21 stories. The Adolphus countered with saying, well, we'll go to 21 stories as well. Um, Roberts came back and said, I'll take your 21 and I'll raise you to 22. <laughs> So, uh, uh, and that's where it stood. It got built as a 22-story building, and we get to uh, enjoy that uh, that fact right now as we sit on the 21st floor. And I believe now the oldest historic skyscraper in Texas. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, quite, quite a landmark. Yeah. Um, man, then we, then we got into three very robust episodes on entertainment <laughs> we did how did how did that how did that be the one that became three it just blew up well uh, it's three different episodes yeah it it kept going i mean you would uh uncover one area and, and really when you talk talk about entertainment there are so many you know roads you can travel down there um so we started with uh looking at places uh-huh. uh with with fiona which is very important to her is, is she's leading the efforts to uh, get a new performing arts center in Waco. Um, I think we went to three because we just wanted to talk to all these people. I mean, they're, they're a great guest for that series. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah. and that yeah. worked out too. Yeah. Um, uh, so something else I've learned since we've done that episode and since I did my episode on air conditioning, you remember that one? Golly. I'm sorry, that's the one that's a prelude. It's my life up to that episode into my life. Okay. I do remember. Yeah. So so do you know where the term blockbuster movie came from? 
I, I, I saw that cryptically on this note, but I do not know what that means. Yeah. What, what it, tell us what it means. Well, if you remember in that episode, we were talking about, you know, here in Waco, some of the early, uh, th there was the auditorium, had 3,000, 3,000-seat 3, auditorium. Yeah, Waco Auditorium. 1899 to mm -hmm. 1928, something like uh -huh. that. Yep. Um, was one of the... Built it too big, actually. Yeah, yeah. built it too big. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I, I brought up was, you put 3,000 people in a room, it's going to get hot pretty quick, mm -hmm. right? And then as as things transitioned into moving pictures where not only do you want to get people in a room, you want it really dark and quiet. Mm -hmm. So now the room's even more closed and, you know, ventilation is minimal. It really starts limiting your ability, you know, when you can do shows, right? Mm -hmm. You can't always do it when it's cool outside or when it's dark outside. Um, so you think about the, the economics of that and you're like, man, air conditioning would pay for itself, mm -hmm. right? Well, early air conditioning, it was blocks of ice. Oh, right. Okay. They would they would hoist a big block of ice God. up and blow a fan over it, and that's what would cool the the uh, the auditorium. And so, if you had a blockbuster, Stephen, yeah, it would go through. You would go through a lot of ice because yeah. it was that good. If there's anything that doesn't connect back to air conditioning, um, I'm telling you, you gotta look out. <laughs> Uh, and un totally unrelated to entertainment, Wilkerson Hatch Bailey, well, or Wilkerson Hatch, the, yeah. the funeral company. Yeah, uh, they were the third air conditioned uh, facility in Waco. Oh, we didn't have that on the episode. No, we didn't. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it, but it makes sense. It's the same. Yeah, economics I was just talking about. Yeah, nobody wants to go sweat through a funeral. And I, I think Neil Morris Hall. On Waco's on Baylor's campus was the first one to have air conditioning put in on Baylor's campus. But anyway, I'm not sure that that building's no longer there. But yeah, don't know about that. But we're not revisiting the uh, AC episode. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, Fiona did. Like, we did a whirlwind tour through um, a, a lot of Waco spaces for entertainment, and then Jim helped us. Primarily, Jim Holmes primarily helped us talk about uh, musical artists. Yes. Uh, connected to Waco, which is a long list. It is. Mm -hmm. And um, that that really opened my eyes. In fact, I, I would love to see that um, uh, that history captured somewhere um, in Waco. You mm -hmm. know, whether it's, you know, a traveling exhibit or something. There's, there's some really yeah. solid stuff there. Yeah. That as we're, um, you know, I, I thought about... Um, when we mentioned a minute ago, Waco was the seventh largest city. We're the twenty fourth largest city in Texas now, mm -hmm. right? There's a there's a lot that have grown past us, especially the the near metro cities. Mm -hmm. And um, but you know, and not to, I don't want to denigrate any one town, but think of some of those suburb cities that are now bigger than us mm -hmm. that really don't have the history yeah. we do. Yeah, and cultureless. They don't hobbles. <laughs> yeah, and we talk about. Uh, one of the old names of Waco was City with a Soul, and it yeah. would be great to 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 really do more to bring out that soul, because mm -hmm. um, that's what makes us different. Are we going to climb up the scale and be the seventh largest city again? Probably not, mm -hmm. but I would love to be one of the best cities yeah. with, with what we have, and a lot of that's taking your culture and exactly living up to it. The, and uh, Chris Hansen and Carl Hoover helped kind of fill in some blanks for us with some additional artists 
that we didn't talk about in Jim Holmes's episode. Uh, and we also got into movies and TV kind of connected to, connected to yeah, Waco. Yeah. A lot, again, surprisingly, or surprising how many uh, connections there were. Um, kind of, kind of back to the music. Yeah. Your uh, the theme song. For oh the, yeah, for you, for the Waco History Podcast. Everyone give, give, give listening. Everyone listening has heard this song. So, uh, across the Brazos in Waco, uh, uh, Billy Walker song, which uh, when Randy and I started the podcast in 2018, we contacted Billy Walker. Uh, Billy Walker's family and asked for permission to use that song and they granted us uh, rights to use it but it's uh, I think it's an iconic local song um, I'm going to do an episode sometime on a, on a uh, songs about Waco which is hmm. I've got a, I've got my own Waco history playlist on Spotify that kind of does songs about Waco which is kind of interesting different artists and the ways they've Sung about Waco, but Billy Walker would be at the top of the list. Yeah. Know? Well, and one thing I didn't uncover until after that episode mm-hmm. was he had a direct connection to Waco. And I didn't realize that. Yeah. yeah. So he was born in Rawls, Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, his mother died when she was six. Uh, his dad could not take care of him and his brothers. Mm. So uh, his dad sent him to the Methodist home in Waco. Wow. Yeah. So really he was here. Um, I'm not sure exactly how many years it, it, he did finish high school in Whiteface, mm. Texas. So mm. he he didn't stay here all the way through uh, his education, uh, but uh, spent some time here in Waco. You're gonna wonder how that's you know connected. He probably he probably as a child probably spent some time down there at the Brazos. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah so we we went through a long uh, list of individuals there and movies and TV. Uh, related to Waco, which is um, really diverse and a lot of uh, characters there and and productions connected to Waco. Uh, really interesting. Uh, Waco is a landscape to kind of shoot films uh, and also folks that have been in films from Waco. It, and it's definitely on the rise. Mm-hmm. That's an upward trend. So I think gonna that's be, what, it's going to be fun to see what happens. That's that really moment. what we heard from Chris and Carl is is the momentum that's going. That I think there'll be more and more of that. Yeah, definitely. yeah, yeah. Um, and I'll just say personally, I've been amazed at your knowledge of film, music, and and uh, movies. I mean, you in TV, you you've uh, got an amazing. I mean, memory. I've been parented fully. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we did have cable. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, we had a, had a couple of stirring episodes with uh, Sheriff McNamara. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I I appreciate you know Rick. One of Rick's key roles here is coordinating our great guests, the most of the great guests we've had uh, on the crossroads, and so it was uh, Sheriff McNamara was Rick's get uh, to have on the podcast, and yeah, it was it was wonderful having him on. I mean, a lot of we talked about a lot of horrific. Uh, things but it you know it's interesting when you take a kind of a full scope view of something uh, and kind of talk about it over time of course most of it overlaps his career yeah or a lot of it does yeah and and his and family, his family. Yeah, yeah his family yeah yeah mm-hmm. um well one thing we didn't talk about mm-hmm. uh in in that episode because it didn't necessarily uh touch the sheriff uh, but there was this a great incident in early TV history that mm-hmm. happened here in Waco 
with uh, the trial of Harry L. Washburn. Yeah, so Harry L. Washburn's mother-in-law goes out to uh, an automobile in the 50s in San Angelo and tries to crank the car, cranks the car and sets off a bomb that had been placed in the car, uh, allegedly uh, by Harry Washburn. Turns out he's guilty. Uh, he gave it away now. Yeah, so. sorry. And it was such a, uh, you know, such a, and of course kills his mother-in-law. Uh, it was such a suspicion fell immediately on Harry Washburn, Harry Washburn, and it was a big case in San Angelo. So they filed for a change of venue and, and brought it to Waco. And that's where it kind of enters in the history books. Yeah. So, um, uh, so what year would that have been? 1955. Mm -hmm. So January 55. So early, early TV. So in fact, media pioneer, uh, in Waco, Buddy Bostick decides uh, to run the trial unedited and commercial free on his TV station. Mm -hmm. um, trial takes four days, and it was—I don't know if it's the absolute first TV to be tele or trial to be televised, but it was certainly one of the first of a handful. Well, it was—it was one of the first, and the fact that it was commercial free and unedited was quite unusual too i mean this is a commercial enterprise that's relying upon advertising dollars yeah and so it was it was quite a risk in doing that and for the uh there are images on the app of that trial if you want to see some images of uh, i was telling rick before we recorded it also gives you some images of what that courtroom looked like mm -hmm. uh when uh the uh, courthouse was constructed it's since been renovated but yeah yeah, it used to be kind of a two-story room with mm -hmm. a gallery. It had a gallery it. up above it. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, it was apparently a pretty juicy trial. So he he was uh, a former son-in-law. Um, was uh, was not happy that he was getting left out of the family fortune. Uh, apparently, a lot of the witnesses that were interviewed were barmaids. Yeah, and, there was a parade of of uh, character witnesses. I think that came through that were. Uh, it was good television. Let's yes. just put it that way. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, well, and you know, it's, it's, it's still a staple of TV mm -hmm. today. I mean, we got whole, whole cable networks dedicated to watch, watching the paint dry in Congress. And, uh, yeah, uh, that's not near as exciting as a real trial like this. Yeah. Um, so, so one question I want to ask you, Rick. So, I mean, that was the, 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 uh, last series our listeners listened to. If yeah. They've been tracking the series. What did we not do? What did, what did we miss that oh, we should have? Well, yeah. Some some that came to mind uh that I that considered going down the trail of uh religion. Religion mm -hmm. is a is a huge thread through Waco. Um and and there's there's some some great stuff there. But kind of similar to the entertainment one, it's like I I don't know I know where you start. Yeah. In 1850, but I don't know you know, you, there's so many tangents you can go down on that. Yeah, there, uh, there are a lot of different angles something like that could go. But it again, it's not just a state story. Um, it's not just a national story. It's an international story. Way ways in which Waco's connected. Oh, yeah. Uh, to yeah, to places all around the world. So that that could have been a great one. Any any other ones you think? You know, you uh, <laughs> I was I was telling a friend today. Uh, there's there's some great and interesting history in banking in Waco, hmm. but yeah. I, I kind of thought nobody wants to hear about bankers cry about That's their as problems. As exciting as air conditioning. <laughs> hey, wait. <laughs> Sorry. 
<laughs> um, so, so yeah, so banking is one that uh, didn't didn't quite make it. Um, did you have any other thoughts? On well, that? I mean, uh, you know, we could do a literary uh, crossroads. We could do, uh, you know, we didn't really get into to academics as far as like publishing crossroads and, and there's some visual and art stuff we didn't get into kermit oliver yeah and yeah some yeah. of the great works that he's done he and other people have done mm -hmm. yeah so I, th I think there's definitely ways in which we could have approached it uh i'm not arguing for us to keep going we're wrapping it <laughs> hey, up every now. good thing must end yeah. all right but let's just say this is suggestive of <laughs> you know I, I look even as we look at the alico uh, building, you think about Waco as an energy crossroads. As I see uh, the the power, power plant, plant. Yeah. Yeah. out yeah. on the horizon there. So I think there's a lot of ways you could approach uh, Waco as crossroads that we didn't get to. Uh, we'll say this is suggestive for you to do your own study on Waco crossroads. <laughs> or on or we, you know, we yeah. might have some special edition episodes. Yeah, well, yeah, in the exactly. We're not going anywhere. Yeah. Uh, so uh, you, Rick. You know, one thing that we did in the first episode that I think would be good to do in the last one is kind of pull back a little bit and, yeah. and draw some conclusions. Uh, what, are, what are some things that kind of some overview thoughts you have uh, on this? Yeah. Um, life is not linear. <laughs> yeah, that's very existential. Yeah. I, I wouldn't expect time is linear. Way. Yeah, yeah. But, but the way things grow and develop mm -hmm. and some things as complex as culture yeah and community yeah uh it's it's you know it's not just uh a, a story that's you know up and to the right all the time that's right yeah um, and it, it also built upon that theme we've been following since randy and i started you know waco is a southern town waco is a western town and the tensions of being both and what that means culturally and economically and all those yeah, sorts of yeah. things. The, yeah. We we were the the, the western uh, edge of the cotton slave culture mm -hmm. and that has reverberated through the history mm -hmm. of Waco in good and bad ways. Um, you know, the racial relations, um, you know, some of some of those very negative ways to positive ways, like we when we talked about the uh, Brazos blues mm -hmm. and some of the culture that that came um out of that uh, cotton culture mm -hmm. and uh you know waco pretty much had to remake itself after mm -hmm. cotton lost its ability to, to yeah. fuel the economy yeah and there were some some great leaders who recognized that and started building uh different industries and different opportunities uh to like i said earlier to the point where we're one of the most diverse <coughs> economies in texas um but that didn't happen without a lot of forethought. Mm -hmm. um, uh, talking about uh, Mr. Colgen and bringing the interstate through town. Mm -hmm. uh, some of his, him and some of his contemporaries were also the ones who uh, got the Corps of Engineers to, to build Lake Waco. Mm -hmm. And that water supply is um, one of Waco's greatest assets. We're yeah. one of the few towns in Texas that owns their own lake and water supply. Yeah. You know, you can only imagine how that's going to play out as we just crossed the 30 million uh, population mark in Texas, and probably in the next 20, 25 years, we'll we'll cross 40 million. Mm -hmm. So, uh, water is going to become 
extremely important. Mm -hmm. Is um, the middle Bosky running today? Did you check? Is it <laughs> running today? It, yeah. uh, it was just barely trickling yesterday. Uh -huh. And, uh, I bet with the rain today, we didn't get probably get enough to actually okay. get it flowing. Okay. But, uh, yeah. Um, so we, we can talk about again, those, uh, those waves of prosperity, waves of decline, um, you know, the, the way in which that drops down in the mid 20th century uh, picks back up in the 21st century to be sure um, yeah the ways in which that kind of goes up now we really got a sense of that in different ways yeah but that's not necessarily connected to uh, artistic output and you know other elements of you right know, you know, right right yeah what's going on the um um and the, the, the wild cards that happen, right? There's the mm -hmm. things you control, but then there's the things that you don't, like a tornado leveling your downtown. Yeah. At, at probably the worst time, right? Yeah. Right when you were kind of in, uh, already in it, hitting a malaise, and then mm. you get just a knockout punch. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, you don't necessarily control things like a, uh, a cute couple getting a reality TV show. <laughs> And it ends up being a, you know, international sensation that that tells a different story of Waco mm -hmm. and and changes perceptions all over the world. After not being able to control what happened in 1993 with the Branch Davidian debacle, yeah. so uh, you know the community has the things it controls and the things it doesn't, and how you uh, how as a as a community and the leadership in the community deals with those things positively or negatively can have a huge impact on the trajectory. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, I, it's, you know, traveling this road with you has been a joy. It's been a lot of fun to uh, cover this ground and all the folks we've learned a lot. Yeah. I think I, as, as we've gone, I feel sorry for all my friends that, you know, start talking to me and I just, I automatically go into my crossroads, uh, you know, monologue. They start asking me stuff. I'm like, well, did you know? So, yeah, I'm sure my wife's ready for me to move on to something else. <laughs> we we began in a uh, warehouse on Webster. Now we're in the 21st floor of the Alico building, which I think is the is the setting we deserve. Mo uh, moving on up, as you'd yeah, say. Exactly. To the east side, yeah. Uh, and so uh, it's really been a lot of fun, Rick. I, I, yes. I can't thank absolutely. you enough for the work you put mm -hmm. into this and coordination you put into it. And listeners, we hoped you enjoyed it as well. Any parting words you want Thank to offer? Thank you. Well, I want to say thanks to you for letting me horn in on your podcast and uh, be a part of it for these episodes. Well, it's really been, it's been fun. Um, I've learned a ton. Uh, I've enjoyed, you know, I, I knew a lot of the people we interviewed. Mm -hmm. I didn't know everyone. And so it's been fun getting to know others as well. Um, so thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. All right. And then we also, uh, together, we want to thank you, the listener, for continuing to listen to the Waco History Podcast. And we would encourage you to go back and catch those Crossroads episodes that you've missed and share with family and friends. Thanks for listening to the Waco History Podcast. Like what you heard? Subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes so we can reach more listeners. You can find show notes and info on every episode at wacohistorypodcast.com and more info on Waco's past at wacohistory.org. Our theme music, used with permission, is Cross the Brazos at Waco, performed by the late Billy Walker. For more info on Billy's music, go to billywalker.com. 
Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. This has been a Rogue Media Network production.